everybody, welcome to This Good Word, episode 81. And before we get into the episode, I mean this band. This is Sisters of Murphy. My dear friend Scott Austin is uh, in that band. And uh, he gave me kind permission to use it in This Good Word, so enjoy. I will put the, sh- I will put the link where you can purchase it on the show notes, but it's Sisters of Murphy fine upstate New York band. But let's get into the episode, episode 81. The word is mu, M-U. It's a Japanese word. It's the first Japanese word I've ever used in the podcast, but I love it. And I first came across it uh, as I was studying Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance in my senior sociology course at Gustavus Adolphus College back in 1992. My senior seminar course. And uh, Robert Persig wrote that book. And in that book, he introduces us to this concept of mu. It literally means no thing, but it also can be translated as unask the question. It would be a response that someone would give to a question that was that, that, that is asked when you feel like the answer is just way too complex for the way in which the question was asked. So like, Um, The quote that Persig has, which I love, is this. Mu becomes appropriate when the context of the question becomes too small for the truth of the answer. I'm going to say it again. Mu becomes appropriate when the context of the question becomes too small for the truth of the answer. Can I get an amen? We've all been in these situations where you're sitting across the table from someone or you read something on Facebook or you are at a dinner party or a cocktail party and someone asks a question and you kind of get the sense that they're looking for an either or answer. They're looking for a quick and dirty, easy answer and you feel like anything you would say wouldn't be enough based on the way the question was asked. And so moo is a kind of way, it's it's a kind of response. It's essentially saying, please ask a better question. (laughs) Please reframe your question so that it's not so dualistic. So an example of that is over the weekend on Saturday, I posed a question on Facebook. And the question was, when you hear the phrase, God is in control, does that encourage you? Or does that kind of piss you off? And I intentionally asked it in that kind of a dualistic way, right? And so I got some responses like, oh man, it's so encouraging when life is crazy. It's just encouraging to know that there's someone bigger than me that's holding it all. Fine, awesome. I liked those comments. And then there was also comments that said, man, it just totally pisses me off. I, 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 can't, I can't stand it. It feels like the Christian version of giving the finger to someone. Like it feels like it's, it's, it's so dismissive of the actual problem. Uh, it, it, it actually lessens, it, it's, it's, it's very offensive even, you know? So these hugely uh, opposed answers. But then I got some people that said, you know, it really depends on the context. Sometimes it can be very encouraging. Sometimes it can be hugely discouraging, but I guess it depends on how someone says it. And other people said, I, I just, I am so sick of that question. 
<laughs> I'm just so sick of, of, of wrestling with it. It feels like it's just, I, I'm just, I'm just sick of it. So that's an example where moo might be an appropriate response. And some people didn't say the word moo, but they were in, es in essence giving me that response. They were saying, I wish you could reframe the question so that it could uh, inhabit all of the nuance that I really want it to. So I want, in this episode, I would like to give you a delicious new way to answer questions like that. When you feel like the question is begging for an either or, yes, no, black or white, dualistic answer, and you don't want to go there. You want to go somewhere much more expansive, much more rich. Uh, I want to I sort of walk you through a way in which you can invite a different question because the world right now, I think we, get, we could all agree, is in desperate need of better questions bigger conversations and journeys past either or yes no in out you me us them characterizations so i want to tell a story it's actually one of the famous teachings of jesus the good samaritan most of us know it and most of us think it's a good moral lesson it's a good reminder to help the people that are in need and I think it is that, but it's so much more. Let me share with you a tribute to a giant's legacy. Gone in a cloud of dust, ripped away from us. A teacher got up and put Jesus on the spot. Teacher, he said, what should I do to inherit the life of the coming age? There's the question. Well, Jesus replied, what is written in the law? What's your interpretation of it? Notice how he answers the question with a question. You shall love the Lord your God, he replied, the lawyer did, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your understanding, and your neighbor as yourself. Well said, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Ah, said the lawyer, wanting to win the point, but who is my neighbor? Another question. Jesus rose to the challenge. Once upon a time, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and was set upon by brigands. Love that word. They stripped him and beat him and ran off, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, the near-dead guy, he went past on the opposite side. So too, a Levite came by the place. He saw him too and went past on the opposite side. But a traveling Samaritan came to where he was. When he saw him, he was filled with pity or compassion. Mercy, maybe it could be translated. He came over to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put him on his own beast, took him to an inn, and looked after him. The next morning, he was going on his way. He gave the innkeeper two dinars. Take care of him, he said, and on my way back, I'll pay you whatever else you need to spend on him. So which of these three do you think turned out to be the neighbor of the man who was set upon by the brigands, Jesus asked. The one who showed mercy on him, came the reply. Well, Jesus said to him, then you go and do the same. A to a giant legacy. Gone in a so let's unpack that. What is happening there? So Jesus gets a question from a lawyer. And to be fair, we don't really know the motivation of the lawyer. The writer inserts some things about wanting to win a point. In some translations, 
you know, we might read that the lawyer is trying to trap Jesus, um, and that may very well be. Nonetheless, he has a question. What must I do to inherit life in the coming age? To which Jesus answers, well, what does the law say? How do you interpret it? Which is an interesting response because this is a lawyer. This is a person who knows the law, who knows it intimately. And Jesus just kind of ping pongs it right back to him. You know the law. Tell me what the law is. Tell me your interpretation of it. So he spits it back out. And I think you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone knows the law. That's a kindergarten question, kindergarten answer. And I think Jesus, this is how he's employing the moo method. He's not saying moo, but he essentially is saying, is that the best you got? Is that the, I mean, is how do I inherit life in heaven? How do I get into heaven when I die? Is, is that your most pressing question? Really? Like you have studied the scriptures backwards and forwards. And really? Like that's your question? Well, if that's your question, you already know the answer. And then he spits out the answer. And then the lawyer, and again, does he want to win the point? Is he trying to trap Jesus? We don't really know. But he says, okay, so who's my neighbor? Now, that's a better question, but it's still, I think, a little bit of an either-or question. I want to know the people who are in, who are out. And so Jesus tells a story. That's how he answers the question. That's how he demands a better question. And he talks about this priest and this Levite both of whom are going from Jerusalem where they've been at work in the temple doing their uh, duties. And now they're traveling maybe back home to Jericho down the hill. And they're going through this pass, this dangerous, and they see that a guy's gotten beat up and both of them pass by the side and they pass by the side of him. Who knows why? Most likely because if they think he's dead and they touch him, then they're going to be unclean for seven days. They have to go back to Jerusalem. They have to go through all these ceremonies to get clean again because you're not supposed to touch a dead body and then go, you know, lead worship at a at the temple, essentially. So uh, maybe that's some of the reasons why Jesus is making up the story and saying why uh, they pass by the side. Regardless, they've passed by the side. These are two respectable people. Everyone would say within the world of religion, a priest and a Levite, we're not going to question them. They just do what they do. But then a Samaritan comes by. And what you need to know about Samaritans is basically this. A Samaritan is the other. It's any person that you do not want to be like, you do not want to be around. It's the least likely person in the story to be painted as the hero. All right. So um, for most Jews in those days, it was Samaritans. They were looked on as um, a mixed race. They were looked on as less than dogs. It was really... Um, they were very, very, um, uh, there was pr large prejudice against them. And they absolutely weren't the winners in any story. They weren't the heroes of any story. They were always the butt of the joke. They were always the group of people that you didn't want to be around, that you couldn't be around by Jewish law. And so when Jesus introduces a Samaritan as the hero in the, in the story, He's changing the question. Remember, the question is, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells a story about this unlikely guy. And again, like pause here. Uh, you and I both have these type of people. Uh, you may think, I'm not a racist. I'm not a bigot. I'm not a xenophobe. 
you have and I have a group of people that you don't like, you don't want to be around, you don't think anything good can come from them. Um, and um, if you think you don't, <laughs> then you, you got a little, um, you, you probably have a little soul work to do. You have a group of people that you think nothing good can come from. And that's what the Samaritans were. And so when Jesus tells the story, the Samaritan who took care of this person who had been badly beaten, Jesus says, Jesus asks another question, the better question, the nuanced question, the complex question. And he said, which one of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man that was beaten? So Jesus changes the question from, you know, theoretically, who's my neighbor to in the actual world, when there's someone actually lying on the side of the road, you have a choice to be someone's neighbor. You are the neighbor to someone else. You don't ask whose neighbor am like, who, who is my neighbor? You ask, who am I a neighbor to? Who will I be neighborly to with my actions? Because remember, this guy said, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? And I think he was most likely looking for theoretical answers to debate over a game of chess. And Jesus brings it right down to the nitty gritty real life. And he uses um, an anti-hero as the hero. And in so doing, he changes the whole complexion of the conversation. Because what is required, it's so interesting is not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's be the person that shows mercy when mercy is required. Be the person that shows mercy when mercy is required in your actual life. And I think it was a kind of a mic drop moment for this guy. So let's talk for a minute about why we get trapped in the kinds of questions like, what must I do to get to heaven when I die? So in order to do that, we need to talk about dualism. So dualistic thinking uh, knows by comparison, it knows by opposition, and it knows by differentiation. So it compares tall to short, it compares good to evil, thin to fat, smart to stupid, us to them, in to out. It is opposed to any other, and it uh, thrives on differentiating me from you, us from them. There's a really bold line between me and you. Uh, dualistic thinking leads to quick and easy answers. And um, this is necessary as kids. As we grow up, we learn tall by looking at short. We learn easy by looking at hard. We learn uh, you know, good food by tasting what's bad. This is how we learn as kids. And there is a need for dualism. There are some things in life that are either or, uh, and they are. The problem is when we insist on using dualistic thinking to process the deeper things of life, the mysteries of life, the sufferings of life, the sexuality, uh, infinity, God, uh, any, of, any of these kinds of things, even the questions like, is God in control? The correct response to that question should be moo meaning no thing, meaning unask the question, meaning can I have a better question? Um, so 
that's when we get to the beauty of answering with moo. So I want you to imagine. So I want to ask you a question. Are you evangelical? And all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, here we go. Did you vote for Hillary Clinton? Did you vote for Donald Trump? What do you think of the Muslim ban? What do you think of Sean Spicer? What do you think of CNN? What do you think of Fox and Friends? What do you think of the church? What do you think of Muslims? What do you think of the LGBTQ community? What do you think of any number of things? Because that question, what do you think about blank, is a dualistic kind of question. And I am so bored by those questions. So a better question would be regarding LGBTQ. Hey, tell me about any relationships you are in with folks that are either lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or questioning. Tell me about conversations that you've had with people. Tell me about conversations you've had with immigrants or refugees. Uh, tell me about fears you have about refugees coming into the United States. Tell me why the president right now you feel like is doing a good job. Tell me why you think the president is um, doing a bad job. Now, some of these, even as I'm saying them, you see how easy it is for dualistic thinking to creep up. So, um, but what if when you're asked one of those dualistic questions that kind of is seeking to differentiate you, are you one of us? Are you in the tribe? Are you outside of the tribe? Do you think the way I think or are you different? Do you think the way, you know, the people are, who are my enemies think? What would it be like to say, oh man, that's, that's an interesting topic. Do you, mind, do you mind rephrasing the question or coming up with a different question? I mean, like, what if you actually did that? That would be saying moo, in essence. No thing. Unask the question. Give me a better question. Have you ever been around people who just sort of invite better questions? Like you sort of feel like, like you, you, you wouldn't want to ask a dualistic question around them because you would sort of be caught in your own small thinking. Have you ever been around people like that? That sort of, you know, and they're not, um, I have, and they're not in any way like arrogant or they don't make you feel small. They actually just invite you into bigger, more expansive ways of thinking. And to be honest, I love that. So join me. I'm going to try to be walking through Lent, inviting better questions. I'm going to try to resist my own temptation to give a dualistic answer. In, out, you, me, us, them, bad, good, evil, good. And I'm going to try to engage in better conversations. 
that result in more complex solutions. We got a lot of work to do, friends, and we can do it. That's what's great. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation, for listening wherever you're listening, whether it be you're driving to work, you're on a run, uh, you're just sitting in a quiet space, you're at work working on (laughs) whatever it is you're working on, spreadsheets and TPS reports and all that stuff. Thank you for engaging. Thank you for thinking uh, good thoughts about these very difficult conversations and very difficult days. So friends, we are dust and we're breath. We're human and holy. We're limited and limitless. And we are in it together. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my preaching, my books, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com.